0: Will you turn with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through verse 36. Luke tells us, About eight days after Jesus said this, He took Peter, John, and James with Him, and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Let's bow in prayer. Our father, during this time of worship, we have now come to your holy word. And we desire to learn from what we have just read. Father, I pray that you would teach us what Luke, your servant, desires for us to understand from his recording of this event. Father, may your spirit teach us. May he illumine our understanding. Father, I pray that today we would come away with a greater understanding, a greater picture greater appreciation for the glorified Christ. Father, bless this time as you can only do. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Last week in our text in Luke chapter nine, for the first time, the disciples themselves acknowledged that this man, Jesus, is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And as soon as Peter speaks that for the group and confesses, you are God's Messiah, you are the Christ of God. Immediately, Jesus says to them, don't tell anyone what you have just said. And that seems odd to us because right now, our commission as the church, as disciples of Jesus is to spread as far and as wide the message that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, the son of God. And so why would Jesus say to his disciples, in fact, strictly warn them not to tell this to anyone? I can imagine that the disciples were confused by Jesus telling them not to to share this news But that confusion was probably nothing compared to the confusion that they were about to get when Jesus told them, because I'm about to suffer and die. He told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and I'm going to be killed. And I can imagine the disciples thinking, wait, I don't understand. How does this go together? How, how can you be the Messiah? You've said this is right. This is true. How can you be the Messiah? But then you tell us that you're going to now go to Jerusalem and die. How does that? That doesn't make sense to us. How are you going to lead us as king? How are you going to restore Israel to its glory in the days of David and Solomon? How are you going to to move Israel out from underneath this umbrella of Roman power and its dominion over Israel. And this is exactly why Jesus told them not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah because the disciples and for the most part, the people of that day would have had the wrong understanding the wrong perception of what that phrase meant. Jesus is the Messiah of God. Their minds would have immediately thought, He's a zealot, he is, he's a leader, he's a military hero, he's gonna be our king. And all of this just furor and, and excitement and everything would just be surrounding Jesus and he would really not be able to do his ministry anymore. He would be so surrounded by this throng of people and it would also likely put him in confrontation with Rome, claiming to be an anointed king. And so Jesus tells his disciples, no, here's what you need to understand. The Messiah must first suffer. The prophecy of the suffering servant from Isaiah needs to be fulfilled. The suffering servant needs to have his blood shed and by his wounds, we become healed. And so he needs to expl- he's explained to his disciples, but it's hard for them to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. But first, he is a suffering Messiah. But I think to encourage them and to assure them that in fact there is a coming glory. Jesus tells them at the end of verse number twenty-seven of Luke nine. He says, "Truly, there are some who are standing here." who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, in all of the three gospels that record that statement, all three of them immediately next point us to the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain. The event that we're looking at this morning. And so Jesus does tell them, yes, I am going to be a suffering Messiah. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and be handed over and I'm going to die. But he does also assure them, but on the third day, I will rise again. And there are some of you who are standing here who will not taste death before you see the kingdom of God. Why does he tell that to them? To encourage them. And I think to tell them that there is a glory that comes after the suffering. And I think the main idea of this passage in this setting, in this context, is this, that the suffering Messiah will one day become the glorified Messiah. The suffering Messiah that he just talked about going to Jerusalem and being rejected and killed, that suffering Messiah will one day be the glorified Messiah coming in his glory, coming in the power of his kingdom. And some of you will see that. Now, what did he mean when he said some of you will see that? Because the fullness of Jesus' kingdom... The eternal kingdom on earth, the final culmination, the millennial kingdom, if you will, the final kingdom, the new heavens, the new earth, that has not been fulfilled yet. Even today, from our perspective, and all of the 12 disciples have already died. So what did he mean when he said, some of you will not taste death before you see the kingdom of God? many commentators agree just because of the placement of the next event that what Jesus intended is that for some of his disciples, they will catch a glimpse, a preview, if you will, of that coming glorious kingdom. And so about eight days later after this, and Luke doesn't normally give us time indicators like this, but I think he does in this case to link the coming event of the transfiguration back to what Jesus had just said. Cause it says about eight days after Jesus said this, linking it back to that statement that some of you will not taste death before you see the kingdom of God. It says that Jesus took with him, Peter, John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. Now we know that Jesus had throngs of disciples. He had hundreds of people following him at this time. We also have read in Luke that out of those many, Jesus has specifically selected 12 to be his disciples, to be his ambassadors to the world and to carry his ministry forward. But even within the 12, we see every once in a while an instance, in which three are singled out and brought within an inner circle, if you will, of Jesus. And those three are always Peter, James, and John. And so Peter, James, and John saw things, experienced things, witnessed things that the other nine disciples never did. And in this instance, Peter, John, and James are with Jesus. And these are also the same three, that were with Jesus in the room when he raised Jairus's daughter from the dead. So they've seen Jesus power on display and raising the dead. Now they're going to see a different aspect of Jesus power and glory. And it says that as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Can you imagine being there? It's just hard to grasp, isn't it? We we try to, to, to imagine it, to picture it in our minds. But imagine being there, these three men with Jesus on this mountain. And all of a sudden, Jesus' physical appearance begins to transform, begins to change. And his face shines. His clothes even become as bright as a flash of lightning. He is radiating glory from himself. I can't imagine seeing that event. And, and I can't help but think that perhaps this is what was in John's mind when he wrote in John chapter 1, verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. The glory is of the one and only of God, the only begotten son of God, full of grace and truth. John was there that day. He saw his glory. He saw the glory of Christ. And it says that as this was happening, as Jesus' appearance is changing, shining like this, two men appear, Moses and Elijah. Elijah. And they appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, why these two men? Why does Moses and Elijah appear next to Jesus? Well, of all of the prophets of the the Hebrew scriptures, it would be harder to rank anybody above Moses and Elijah. Moses was regarded as the preeminent prophet, if you will, because Moses was the one who gave the very words of God. Moses was the one who met with God on Mount Sinai and received the law. Moses was like the the preeminent prophet that gave rise to all the other prophets that came after him because If you read the other prophets, especially in the latter part of the Old Testament, Isaiah through Malachi, they almost always base their message on Moses. They go back to the law, to what God revealed to Moses. They are prophets following in the line of Moses. And so Moses is like the preeminent prophet. And why Elijah? Well, Elijah was also a prominent prophet in the days of Israel when it was in the midst of rebellion And perhaps maybe other than Elisha, no other prophet displayed the power of God like Moses than Elijah in the Old Testament. And so here next to Jesus, we see two of the greatest prophets in Israel's history and two of the prophets who displayed some of the most power ever that God had granted to human beings to display. And here they are as attendants, if you will, to Jesus. Because who is the main focus? Jesus. Jesus is the main focus. Moses and Elijah are on his side, either side, which means Jesus is at the center, right? Jesus is the most important. Remember when the disciples argued about who was going to be on Jesus' left hand and who on his right hand? Jesus in the center. That's what matters. And you wanted to be close to Jesus. And so here are two men who are close to Jesus, but the focus is on Jesus. He's at the center. Now, do you remember what some of the people were saying about who Jesus was? Remember all the news reports that were coming back to Herod? Remember what Jesus asked his disciples? Who do people say that I am? What were they saying? That you're John the Baptist perhaps come back from the dead? Or maybe... Elijah. Why Elijah? Because Malachi prophesied that Elijah would come before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so there was future eschatological significance connected to Elijah. Maybe he's Elijah. Maybe one of the other prophets, the great prophets, maybe even like Moses, come back to life again. But all those were incorrect answers, weren't they? No, Peter was right. You are the Messiah. You're the Christ of God. And in fact, these two men standing next to Jesus demonstrate Jesus is not Moses. Jesus is not Elijah. Jesus is the Messiah. And these two men are here attending to Jesus at his sides. But Jesus is the focus. One of the amazing things about this passage is how much in this passage... I think is intended to be kind of a mirror image of Moses on the mountain in Exodus 34. Remember when Moses went up in the mountain, Moses asked God to see his glory. And in that instance, in Exodus 34, there are several similarities between that account of Moses and this that takes place here. They both take place on a mountain, In both accounts, there is a cloud that overshadows the mountain. In both accounts, there is a voice of God that comes out of the cloud. In both accounts, there is a transformed appearance. The presence of Moses here at the Mount of Transfiguration is a reminder of Moses' transfiguration on that mountain in Exodus 34 and in our text here in verse 31 jesus speaks of his departure verse 31 says they spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at jerusalem the greek word there for departure is exodus his leaving his going out in both accounts here and in exodus is the mention of the concept of glory Moses wanted to see the glory of God. And Luke describes the disciples of Jesus as seeing his glory. And Luke notes specifically that Jesus's face was changed just as Moses's was on Mount Sinai. But here's the difference. And here's why Jesus is at the center. Because Moses's face was changed and shown glory but it did so only in reflection of the glory of God here. Jesus face is shining, showing glory, but it is not coming from the outside in it's coming from the inside out. Jesus is not reflecting glory. Jesus is radiating glory. So Moses' face was changed, but it was in reflection to the glory of God. Here, Jesus' appearance, his face is changed because he is revealing the glory that is truly his, that has belonged to him from all eternity. As Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, as Jesus is about to go to the cross, Jesus says to his father, Father, now grant me the glory that I had with you before the world began. Jesus has in himself as the son of God, eternal glory. And here for his disciples, he is barely pulling the curtain back just a little bit, if you will, kind of like what God did to Moses, showed him just a little glimpse of the glory of God. Here, Jesus is giving his disciples just a little glimpse of the coming glorious kingdom of Jesus. And so this is showing that Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Elijah. As the writer of Hebrews says, Moses was a faithful servant in God's house, but Jesus is a faithful son over God's house. Jesus is greater than Moses. He's not just another prophet. He is not Elijah. Come back again. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah. And his glory is revealing who he is. But notice verse 32. The disciples almost miss it. Have you ever missed out on something incredibly important? And you were incredibly angry and frustrated by that, full of disappointment. Can you imagine being on the mountain with Jesus, transfigured in glory, and you slept through it? The disciples almost do that. It says they were tired. They were sleepy. What is it with Jesus praying and the disciples sleepy? Seems like that happens a lot, but Jesus is praying. The disciples start getting sleepy, but they're awakened. And I can't help but think that the reason they're awakened is because the bright light wakes them up. This, this radiating glory of Jesus causes them to be fully awake, almost slamming their eyes back shut again at the glory that Jesus was radiating. It says they fully woke up and they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And it says, as the men were leaving Jesus, so they almost missed it. Moses and Elijah have been there with Jesus, talking with him. And and notice the conversation that they were talking with Jesus about. It's about his going to Jerusalem and then his subsequent departure, his exodus. Where? To heaven. These things that Moses and Elijah probably could not fully understand back when they were on earth, they prophesied about, they looked forward to. Now Moses and Elijah are able to stand back and see with Jesus the full picture of the redemptive plan of God and how it's about to come to fruition in Jerusalem. And they've been talking about this and they're getting ready to leave. And Peter sees them there and he says, wait, 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 master. It is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And this may be one of my favorite phrases in all the Bible. He did not know what he was saying. Peter, what are you talking about? Peter does this a lot, right? Peter says things, he just blurts things out. He says things he didn't know what he was talking about. What was in Peter's mind when he said this, let's put up three tents, literally three tabernacles. Probably what Peter had in mind is something along the lines of the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a yearly feast in Israel in which the men and older boys would go and they would set up tents. And they would live in those tents for a week. And it was a remembrance of the time of Israel in the wilderness when they lived in tents on their way to the promised land. And maybe that's what uh, Peter has in mind here. Let's set up three tents. Let's let's celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for a week. Maybe Peter wanted to extend the stay of Moses and Elijah. And And I can understand that, right? You see Moses and Elijah, you've heard about these men, you've read about them. And now here they are standing next to Jesus. Maybe you would want to say the same thing. Let's, let's extend this. Let's draw this out for a week. Let's let Moses and Elijah stay here. Let's get some tents for them to sleep in. But I think Peter's missing the point here because our focus should not be on the presence of Moses and Elijah. Our focus should be on Jesus. and the fact that he is here radiating his glory at this very moment. This is about Jesus. This is not about Moses and Elijah. And I think that's why the voice comes out of heaven to make very clear what this is about. While they were speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, enveloped them in this cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. One other time that the voice comes from heaven like this is that Jesus baptism Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist and a voice rings out. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We don't know if Jesus' disciples were there for that one. It may have happened before he chose them as his disciples, but now they're going to hear this one. They're going to hear this voice. This is my son. Jesus is not Moses. Jesus is not Elijah. He is higher than Elijah. In fact, he is in a class by himself as the son of God. This is my son. I have chosen him. He is my chosen servant. He is my anointed one to accomplish my will and to accomplish redemption. Listen to him. There is no greater instruction that the world needs to hear today than those three words Listen to him listen to Jesus. Everyone in the world, everyone in the world will be held accountable to those three words. Have you listened to Jesus? Have you heard his words with open ears, with receptive hearts? when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. And the disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time, what they had seen, which exactly parallels Jesus instruction to them to not make known Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Why would they keep this incredible event, a secret, for, for probably at least until after the resurrection of Jesus. For the same reason, if they were to go around saying, look what we saw, we saw Jesus in glory transfigured, that immediately everyone's minds would jump to the glorious aspect of the Messiah's reign and skip over the essential fulfillment of the suffering of the Messiah. The Isaiah 53 suffering servant who needed to come and give his life for his people. And so the disciples kept this to themselves. We're not even sure if they told the other nine, but they kept this to themselves for a time. But later on, we read in Peter's letter in 2 Peter chapter 1, In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter is writing to Christians who are doubting or or, or facing false teachers who are doubting and questioning the second coming of Jesus. False teachers who are wondering, where is the promise of his coming? 2 Peter chapter 3. And Peter says to the Christians that he is writing to, I am confident in Telling you and proclaiming to you the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he can say, I was there on the mountain and saw the glory of Christ. And that's what he says in second Peter 1:16. He says, We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, talking about his second coming, his glorious triumphal coming. He said, We didn't just make this stuff up. These aren't myths. These aren't fables. These aren't stories. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw him. We were eyewitnesses of his glory, of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. He said, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. What's Peter talking about? He's talking about this text. He's talking about this event. Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, he says, we saw his majesty. We saw his glory. So when we're proclaiming to you the coming of Jesus in power and great glory, we're not making this up. We saw the glorified Christ, the same glorified Christ who at some point is going to come on the clouds of heaven. And every eye will see him. We saw him. We saw that glorified Christ. And so anchor your faith to the gospel, which is rooted in true events, in true history, in the person of Jesus Christ. The suffering Messiah will one day come again as the glorified Messiah. And Peter can say, Because I saw him. Do you know who this person is, Jesus? Do you know Jesus as the suffering servant? Do you know the man who would go to Jerusalem, be betrayed, falsely accused? unlawfully tried and executed. Do you know the man who rose from the dead on the third day after those events? Do you know the man who ascended to heaven and is right now seated at the right hand of the throne of God? Do you know the man who will one day return in glory and power, just as Peter, James and John saw him on that day on the mountain? Do you know that man named Jesus? Do you know that he is the son of God? Do you know that he is the Messiah, the anointed one of God? Do you know that he is savior and Lord? Have you put your faith in him? And have you listened to him? Let's pray together. Our father in heaven. We thank you for the glory that was revealed through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that a part of your great and marvelous plan is the sending of your eternal son to come and live among us as a man to take on flesh, but even in the flesh as a man living among us to still reveal your glory to reveal the glory of the one and only God, full of grace and truth. Father, we thank you that Peter, James, and John were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We're thankful, Father, that we have now a sure word of testimony that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior, the Lord of all the earth. Father, open our eyes today to see and behold him. Spiritually speaking, Father, do not let anyone in this room sleep through seeing Jesus in his glory. Open their eyes to see Jesus before it is too late. Open their ears so that they might listen to him. May your son, the Lord Jesus, the suffering Savior, and glorious Messiah, may he be praised. In Jesus' name, amen.